I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it bring it to the Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. All right, folks, it is that time of year again. It is the air quotes summer transfer window review. This is part two. Part one went out through Dave and his two-footed podcast, which you can find on Twitter at two-footed pod. Obviously, EPL Index will be sending it out as well. So be sure you listen to part one of this first. It'll be Arsenal through Leicester. Today, we'll start off with Liverpool, though, Dave. Obviously, the the eye-catching signings, Thiago Alcantara and Diego Jota, obviously two two fantastic players, and we'll talk about the impact they'll have. Tsimakis to just kind of cover Robertson there at left back. I don't know much about Peter Luga, so I don't know if he's going to replace Adrian, which I'm sure every Liverpool fan would hope. Uh, but yeah, on the whole, what did you make of this window? Um, Obviously, when you sign Thiago Alcantara, it's just a great window because he's an incredible player. And I really like the signing of Diogo Jota. I think he just works with how we play. He can cover across the front line. And one thing we were drastically lacking was quality cover and attack. So you get that. You get the world-class midfielder and you get the cover at left-back. I still think we left ourselves a little bit short at centre-back. I would have really liked that fourth centre-back. Um, the Adrian thing is, just look, he's, he's an okay backup goalkeeper. And if you're playing him in the domestic cups and in, you know, a, a dead rubber match in the, in the champions league, that's fine when there's no pressure on him. But when there's big pressure in games, that's, you know, that's not when you want him. but all in all, I'm okay with the goalkeeper situation. Don't know much about the young keeper either. He's 17. So I assume he'll go into the 23s for a couple of years, highly rated, but I doubt he sees much action this year. Um, from an incoming point of view, I, I think it's, I think it's a B plus. I think a centre back would have made it an A. I think we could have done a little bit better in terms of outgoings. I would have liked to have seen Wilson, Grujic, and Origi leave permanently, but um, and my assumption is Wilson will end up with a championship loan. Origi will stick around. Grujic has gone on loan to Porto. Um, we sold Lovren. We sold Ajaria. Both of them, you know, needed to go for different reasons. Lalana was released. He needed to go for a variety of reasons. Bit surprising that we sold Kian Hoiver yeah. and Rian Brewster, given they're two of our biggest young talents. But by all accounts, we have buybacks on both players. And obviously, both players want to play, and they weren't going to play for us this season. Hoiver wants to play as a right back. We have Trent. We have Nico Williams. You could argue Hoiver's ahead of Nico, but Nico's probably happier to be a backup at Liverpool than Hoiver would have been. So it's a good opportunity for him to go and play. And with Brewster, he just doesn't fit how we play. We don't play with a number nine. We don't play with that type of player. So he wasn't going to get the games he wanted at Liverpool. We've gotten a really good fee and we've gotten a buyback. So 
all in all, I think it's a, I think it is a B plus window. I think we could have done a little bit better in terms of getting players in and, and moving players out. But look, like I say, when you add Thiago, you just can't argue with the window. He's he's a sensational footballer, uh, one of the very best midfielders in the world. And we got this, the depth at left back and up front that we have badly, badly needed. We don't need to see James Milner at left back anymore. We should see a lot less Divock Origi, and they're all positive. So I'll give it a B plus. Yeah, I think the longer we do these shows, the more we're just going to end up saying exactly the same things and giving the exact same grades. I've gone with a B plus as well. I think all those points are, are fantastically made. Uh, what do you make of the idea of Diogo Jota basically being the second option at every position in your front three? Do, do you think that that's, kind of, well, that is the media narrative. Do you think that that's how he could be used? I think he'll be the, the second option on the two flanks. I think uh, Minamino will be the second option through the middle. Um, when Firmino needs a rest, I do think it'll be uh, Minamino that will play. Now, we also have the option of playing Sadio Mane through the middle and then Jota on the left. So I, I think we are well stocked. Now, I think we do have, you know, we have five quality, f- we've, we've three world-class, well, two world-class front players in, in Mane and Salah. Firmino at one point looked like he was that level, but he's been pretty poor the last 18 months in truth um but i really like shota i really like minamino we've kept hold of shakiri and he is a very good player so if he does get the opportunities he can offer something and then like having divok as your kind of seventh forward you know at least we have depth now we have bodies to throw at problems we have bodies to play in the cups and and things like that so all in all i'm I'm happy with the with the the front signings i i don't think minamino uh, I don't think Jota will play through the middle. I think he will play the wide roles when he does when he does play, and I think he's going to be a really good signing. Like statistically, his profile is very similar to Mane when we signed him from Southampton. So, mm. you know, if he can have like consistency is the issue, the same issue that Mane had. Uh, spoke to a few Wolves journalists uh, after the signing, and they all said the same thing. If he can sort out his consistency, he is one of the the best attackers in the league he would be wolves best player if he was consistent problem is that he hasn't been and that's why we've got him for 40 mil rather than 70 mil you know yeah definitely one of the reasons why his price didn't uh super explode and then just one quick question who in that midfield does tiago replace when everyone's fit i don't think we'll have a set starting three. I mm. think there'll be horses for of, courses and all that. Horses for courses, different trios for different types of games. I think if it was a Champions League final tomorrow and we had to pick three, I, I think Fabinho has to start uh, as holding midfield. Thiago has to start. He is the best midfielder at the club. And then depending on, I think those two will be the two. And then that third position will be the one that kind of rotates more between Henderson. Wijnaldum and Naby Keita it just depends who you're playing against in terms of who will play but I, I, I think given Ginny has a year left on his deal Henderson is now 30 Naby's had injury problems Thiago obviously has had some injuries through his career Klopp will want to manage their minutes we still have Oxley Chamberlain as well who can play there and Milner might get the odd game here and there but I think Thiago Fabinho plus one is the way forward and, and look I think there is a real chance this season that Liverpool do switch to 4-2-3-1 at times, mm. which will put Mane on the right, Jota on the left, and Firmino behind Salah, and then Thiago and Fabinho as a two. 
So we have that option as well. Interesting. Well, we'll definitely keep an eye on that. I think you've probably done enough to to be the favorite still this year. Obviously, in the summer, I, I mm. said I thought City would, would overtake you, but I'm not really sure if that will be the case. Obviously, we'll just flow into them. I've given City a C+. We already talked about the Ferran Torres signing on the summer show, so I won't spend too much time on him. Obviously, love the talent. In the short term, I think he's more of a depth piece. I don't think he automatically displaces any of Sterling Mahrez or even Bernardo, who obviously is, is going to start playing centrally a lot more now that David Silva is gone, but I'd, I'd still put him behind him anyway. Um, that depth is obviously important, though. The good news is that they have made sure that they won't be short at center back again <laughs> if Laporte or Stones continue to deal with injuries. Now you bring in Diaz and Nathan Ake, who can both immediately step in. Ruben Diaz is one of the gems of this window uh, in general, and obviously probably the biggest one for a city also comes with the biggest price tag. One of the most talented young central defenders in the game. Uh, also pretty good right now. He does still have some issues in the air, and I think that that has led to some questions about his physicality, but two things. One, we were just talking about Brighton earlier. There aren't that many aerial threats left in the Premier League at striker. So he might be able to get away with that. And secondly, you'd assume he will just develop uh, through that with age. Although I know you have concerns about Pep as a defensive coach, which I'm sure we will hear about. Because Nathan Ake is the other player that they bring in at center back. It's a clever signing. Still expensive. But, you know, buying buying from a, a relegated team typically means good business. Not really sure they avoided too much of the price tag. But... Ake is quickly outgrowing the like talented and prospect tags that have like protected him for a lot of his career. He's mm-hmm. going to be 26 this season. And I don't think we've seen enough from him yet. Kind of like Davinson Sanchez at Tottenham. It's like, sh- shouldn't you have been good by now? Like you earn a lot of goodwill by being a highly touted prospect. You, you can make up a lot of mistakes by people being like, oh, he'll get there. You have those those moments where you really shine and people are like, oh, that's the player he'll be. But I don't think either of them have gotten to where they need to be yet. And neither of them are young enough to still be considered that like prospect status. Like They need to start showing it now. And if you don't think that Pep is is going to develop this defensive talent well, and their spend on their back line kind of might back up that point, then this could be not the window that they would have been hoping for. Yes, they have that depth. Yes, it means Stones doesn't have to start. Yes, it means Fernandinho doesn't have to be a center back, although I'm not really sure if he still has the pace to do the defensive midfield job that he used to. Obviously, they have Rodri to play there as well, but I haven't been as impressed by him as I assumed I would be when he came over from Atleti. So in theory, this this helps the squad. And Diaz should be, should be the Laporte partner for me. Mm. But I... I'm not sure about this window. If the goal was you have to close the gap with Liverpool, and we talked in the summer, Liverpool are going to regress some. You don't have to make up that whole distance by yourself, but I don't know if they've made up the distance that's left. No, I don't think they have either. Um, I I love the Diaz signing, I have to say, when they were been linked with um, Koulibaly. Koulibaly. you weren't about it. No, and I said from day one, Ruben Diaz is the guy you go and buy here. He is the ideal partner for Merrick Laporte. Yes, he's not as strong in the air as you'd want him to be, but he's so young. That will come. And you also have to factor in that different central defenders deal with aerial duels in different ways. Not all of them go climbing into the air to try and head the ball. Some try and act as a deterrent where they just lean into the attacker and try and get the, the header misdirected, try and get the ball to run loose and then snap up that second ball. 
And that's what Diaz does very well. He is an aggressive front foot defender, but he's also a clever defender. As I've said before, I don't think Pep develops defenders as defenders, but I think he'll improve him as an all-round footballer. And I think the next guy who comes in, whoever that might be, will be the guy that really turns him and Laporte into the great pairing that they can be. And he's already uh, a very good passer of the ball, which should suit yeah, that style well. That's exactly it. He's, he's comfortable carrying the ball as well. So I think, like you say, Rodri hasn't looked as good as we maybe expect him to straight away, but he's a young player as well. The, the idea of having Ederson in goal, Diaz, Laporte, and Rodri, all of whom are young, youngish players. Not Well, Laporte is, what, 26, I think, 25 they're not, you know, they're not kids, but they're all young and, and have room to grow. It's a solid base for you to build off. I'm not a big Kyle Walker fan, but he's he's solid. He's dependable. He's become a better defender. He's beaten in, out everybody they brought in. Yeah, and I think I think his attacking game has definitely regressed substantially since he was at Spurs. But I do think that's allowed him to focus more on his defensive work where his pace and physicality do help him out. Still has the odd brain fart. Still not tremendously good when turned onto his inside shoulder, but straight line speed, defending you know, wingers going down the touchline, he, he's still very good at that. Left back they needed to address because I don't trust Mendy at all. I think as a physical specimen, he's exceptional. I think he's a little bit brainless at times. I think he makes a lot of positional mistakes. He leaves you exposed a little bit, and I don't think that's ideal. Now, with Laporte able to play on the left of a back, three and Walker able to play on the right of a back three. Maybe we see a bit more of that, a back three with Walker, Diaz in the middle and Laporte on the left. And then Jack Maceo and Mandy as wingbacks, which would suit both of them a lot better. And then Rodri, De Bruyne and Bernardo in a midfield three and then Sterling and Aguero up front. I think that would be a better use of their players because they don't have the left back that I would trust in a four, unless you're going to play Ake there and he doesn't seem to want to play there. Like you said, he's almost 26 now. He's still regarded as a young prospect. Reminds me of when Liverpool signed Adam Lallana, who was 27, <laughs> yeah. or pushing 27, and he was you know, a young midfielder. Um, sometimes these guys just live off the reputation. But I do think Aki's a solid player, but definitely has levels to go up if he, if he wants to justify the hype and, and the price tag. Um, Ferran Torres is, is talented, but... To me, the loss of David Silva is massive, more from a leadership point of view, because they obviously lost Yaya, then lost company, now losing Silva. It's a big part of the core that made them gone. And next thing I think you'll see, probably Fernandinho could go after this year, and then maybe Aguero after the following year. And then all of a sudden you're looking around and go, well, who's our leaders? Who's the voice in the dressing room that's really going mm. to get things back on track? Um, maybe it's Kevin De Bruyne. Maybe he's developing into that role. I don't know, but he he's also 29. So you're kind of you're pushing the boundaries of his peak now over the next two years. Um, losing Leroy Sané is massive. I know he didn't play last year, and I think that was a big part of why they struggled at times. Because at his best, he's a world class left winger, and they haven't replaced him which means that what made them great, when they were brilliant, when, when everything worked for them, they had De Bruyne, Fernandinho, and David Silva in midfield. Now, Fernandinho, like you said, a little bit too old to play that role now. Silva gone, but you can bring in Bernardo Silva or Phil Foden to play that David Silva role, and I think both of them can play it 
maybe not as brilliantly, but in time, maybe maybe slightly better because of they're more naturally suited to playing in midfield than he was. Rodri should develop into that holding player, different to Fernandinho, but I think he can be equally as effective. But what, what allowed them to be so effective was that De Bruyne could move from that right centre midfield role way out to a right wing role and stretch the play. And Sané as the left-sided player in the front three could move out to the left wing and stretch the play that way. So they became very hard to pick up and they made the pitch as big as possible and it allowed them to play Sterling and Aguero almost as a front two. When you play Sterling on the left, he doesn't give you that kind of width because he wants to cut inside. Mm. He always wants to be in his right foot. So looking at their in-house solutions, the only one I can think of who could maybe do Mm. that role is Riyad Mahrez, who's not naturally a left winger. He's obviously a right winger who's left-footed. But I think maybe if you want to get the most out of your squad, maybe you have to ask him to just alter his game and become that player who starts as a left-sided forward but becomes a left-winger in their patterns of play and it allows De Bruyne to have more options when he's picking the ball up in in that kind of right half space. Um, I don't think they've done enough. I, I think they've left themselves still two players short. Um, I, I did think they would go full-on mental in the market this summer and spend $300 million just as a big F you to everybody uh, over the, the transfer ban and the Champions League ban that was meant to be landing on them. But they've been, you know, they've been quite restrained. A fifty million net spend is is, is you know more than more than acceptable, and uh, like I said, the Diaz improves the defense, but I'm not sure they've improved anywhere else. And to me, they haven't done enough. Uh, it's a B for me. Um, it's a good window, not a great window, and the loss of Sane I think is massive. Yeah, and it ended up being a C plus for me. But I'm sure that's much higher than what you're about to give Manchester United. Obviously, all of the drama surrounding their club, especially with the 6-1 right before deadline day, which is when they finally moved into the market. Also, I'm not sure if you read the Athletic article about what happened with the Jadon Sancho deal. But just what do you make of all of that? Right. Bring in Donny van der Beek. That was a real opportunistic signing. He was Real Madrid bound for the last six months. And I think, obviously, Real deciding not to sign anybody just made him available. And there was nobody else in for him. Like, Arsenal kind of looked and thought about it, but he didn't really fit how they were going to play. So United have, have snapped him up. And he's a, he's a good player. Don't get me wrong. He is a good player. And a 35 million or 40 million, you can't argue with it. But they didn't need him. And An attacking midfielder mm. was not one of the four biggest needs that United had. Uh, Alex Tellez is a good left back, but does he really want to be there? He was been shopped around to everybody, and he, you know, he, apparently he couldn't wait to sign for Wolves, couldn't wait to sign for Juventus, was happy to go to this club and that club, Sevilla, uh, a couple of others, Leicester City, was happy to go to any of them. He just wanted a move out of Porto. So, you know, they've got him at a good price, but again, left back wasn't one of the four needs that they had going into this window. Um, Edinson Cavani again it's a, it's a good signing in a vacuum he's 33 now but he's still a proven goal scorer you know when he plays he can be very effective injuries are a little bit of an issue but he won't be a starter at United but again the only reason he's available is because no one else wanted him everybody else had turned him down this summer he was linked to Juventus to Barca to Atletico Madrid Napoli. yeah uh, yeah Napoli uh, Benfica 
and they all turned down because of the wage demands. Oh, yeah, the and Benfica one was of... interesting because they were going to try to build, like, an aging Champions League super team, but then they crashed out. Yeah, and that's the thing. And, like, United have basically given him over 200 grand a week uh, on a two-year deal. They've given him a £10 million signing-on fee, and they gave his agents £10 million as well. What his agents have done for him, I don't know, but somehow their work deserved £10 million. Pounds. Um, so they found you know, the one United club that was willing to give him what he wanted. <laughs> it's just so strange. It's just bizarre. They did bring in Palestri, the young Uruguayan from Penarol, for about nine million, and obviously they've set up this deal for uh, for Diallo Traore in January from Atalanta. Assuming he can get a work permit and pass all the medicals and all that kind of stuff, that deal may fall apart. And if it does fall apart, United still have to give them ten million because that's that's how United work. They just throw money around and hope for the best. Uh, it's it's a nonsensical deal in that regard, but super talented. And if he works, he's going to be incredible. Palestri's meant to be very good. I have no idea. Um, I I looked at United at the start of the summer and thought, right, four players needed. Starting centre-back, without question. Someone to go next to Maguire. Someone with pace. Someone who can lead the line. Someone who can sweep the, the other defenders because obviously Maguire's quite slow. Uh, Juan Bissaka, while a good 1v1 defender, isn't the most aware and doesn't sweep his centre-backs very well. And obviously Luke Shaw at left-back, you know, decent but not great. A holding midfielder, starting, absolutely needed. Because the only one they had was Matic. And uh, he's... Who's been losing his legs for a good three years now. Very, very much so. I mean, I think he's about six inches shorter at this point than he was four years ago. Uh, but very, very slow, you know, had a decent run post-lockdown, but I throw all those games out. I don't think they mean anything because I think the majority of teams were playing for nothing. So I throw all those games out. Uh, I thought they needed depth in attack, not a starter, depth. Two players, uh, a natural number nine who could be an impact player, play when Martial was out, give them a different look, maybe playing a two at Martial in some sets. And you can say, yes, Cavani answers that problem, but he's 33 and he's on monstrous money and you were meant to be moving away from this model by getting rid of, of Alexis Sanchez and, and you know, not doing those things anymore. And I thought they needed a, you know, a, a good quality backup wide player who could provide with on both sides, you know, give a rest to Greenwood and Rashford when they needed it, be a natural wide player if they wanted to change the shape a little bit. And they didn't do that either. Um, they brought, they got these two young players who maybe can develop into that, but you know they're not there now. In midfield, they didn't need a centre midfielder. They have loads of bodies. They may not be great, but they have loads of bodies. They have loads of bodies who can play attacking midfield. And instead, they signed Danny Van Der Beek, who plays that role and can't really play anywhere else. Doesn't fit in the team with Bruno. So if Bruno's going to play, Van Der Beek can't really play because he's not. He's not going to play the Pogba role because he's not good enough as a central midfielder. He's not a creative passer, which is what Pogba really does for them. Not a progressive passer. He's more a player who plays off the ball. So, you know, I, I don't think they've addressed any of their needs. I think they've embarrassed themselves exceedingly badly on the Sancho deal. I think they've sold the one centre-back they had who could have played with Harry Maguire because Lindelof and Maguire are pretty much the same player. Um, Maguire hmm. is obviously slightly better, but you don't really want those two as a pair. You'd want one or the other. Which is why Bailly, they've tried Bailly, but he's just always hurt. And exactly. hasn't and lived I, up I to his Bailly, potential either, like I was saying. But with I think Ake. he suits playing with Lindelof better than he does with Maguire. Maguire is so slow that it's, it's a problem. Now, my suggestion to them would be 
change the shape, go to a back three, play Wan-Bissaka, Maguire and Shaw as a three, play uh, Brandon Williams as a right wing back, which is he's better going forward than attacking. He is a natural right for the players. So play him there, Pellas on the left, Fred and Pogba as a midfield two, and then play Bruno as a, a floating 10 with two of Rashford, Greenwood and Martial up front. That would be my suggestion to them in terms of how to get the most out of the players you now have. Because I think Van de Beek can come into that kind of setup and add a little bit more. And maybe in that kind of setup, you could play him and Bruno behind one striker in certain big games. If you, if you wanted to be a little bit more compact, a little bit more defensive, but still have a goal threat, you could play Rashford up front and Bruno and Van de Beek behind him. But I don't think they've done well. The Sancho thing is embarrassing on all levels. They never got close to signing him. They never got anything agreed. They can, you know, they they tried to spin it through their British counterparts, through Spoofrizio, Spoofmano, who's hopefully just going to go away now until the next transfer window um, and stop telling lies to people and leading people on. But they spun it through the media that this deal was close. And in truth, as it turns out, it never was. They were never going to pay the money and why they allowed it to just drip on and on and on and didn't just go to a backup target. And people, oh, they had backup targets. Who? Who? Who was the backup target? Ishmael Asar, totally different type of player to Jaden Sancho. Mm -hmm. The one player I would have looked at and thought, if you can't get Sancho, maybe the guy you go for is Jeremy Doku. They never even looked at him, didn't even consider him. So to me... Yeah, I'd say he's too young, but now look at... uh... Ahmad Traore, who they brought Traore in, and Palestri. who's just as young. So it doesn't make any sense. And and Doku could help you now. Traore is not going to help you at least till January, and maybe it'll be beyond that because he might still get loaned back for the second half of the season. Uh, I think it's an F. I, I like the, the three individual signings that can help them now in Van de Beek, Pellez, and Cavani, but they didn't ad- address any of their needs. They overspent on Cavani badly, and that, that's going to become a, a toxic asset. Uh, and I just don't see what the plan is. I think I think the Sancho deal just... And by all accounts now, that's it. Sancho's not going to consider that that club now because mm. he feels undervalued. He feels like he was lied to. He was willing to make the move because you know they were going to offer him what he wanted, but apparently their first contract offered him, if you've read that athletic piece, was below what he's on at Dortmund, which is embarrassing. Especially considering um, Germany does not have the broadcast contracts that the Premier League Exactly, does. and by all accounts... He'd prefer a move to Liverpool. And next summer, Liverpool will be in from, Chelsea will be in from, Real, Barca, Bayern, Juventus might be in from. He's going to have much more options. United have screwed the pooch on that one, I'm afraid. I'm really sorry to any United fan listening. Your club have let you down badly. And it's, it, you know, the thing is, it's not just it's not just as simple as saying, oh, it's Matt, George, and said Woodward. It's Ollie as well. Because if he gave them a list of targets and a centre-back and holding midfielder weren't top of the list, the guy hasn't got a breeze what he's doing. So uh, I'm just sitting back now waiting for the day I hear that Ali has been removed and Pochettino or Allegri are on their way. A third a third bite at Pochettino wouldn't particularly be surprising for them. The only reason he didn't get it the first time was because of that PSG result, which uh, is one of those poison chalices uh, that, that sometimes happen in football. Um, yeah, I've given them a D. Um, because like you said, in theory, Telus and Cavani aren't bad signings. It just looks so bad optics-wise that it was the last day of the window right after 
a humiliating defeat. And then, like you said, with with Donny Van de Beek, I, I, what's the point of him and Fernandez in a window where you had so many needs? What's the point of him? Mm. Like you said, you have managed to to construct a way in which both could play. But you know what you shouldn't have to do when you spend that much on a talented young player mm. is change all of your tactics to try to make your signing make sense. You should probably sign people. But you know, you know that what makes sense in the system. About what they do is that you keep hearing about this is the player who can unlock this Pogba. other player that they yeah. signed last summer or the summer before or some for like massive money. Why are you needing to buy other players to unlock the players that you've just signed? Shouldn't you just sign players that unlock the players you already own? Yeah. Isn't that the purpose of the transfer window? <laughs> I just had a, a quick Slack chat with my boss's boss the other day at, at, at the day job. And he's a United fan. And I was just like, so they bought Fernandez and Donny van de Beek to do the attacking so that Pogba doesn't have to. They bought Fred and Matic to do the defending work so that Pogba doesn't have to. So what does he do? Mm. Right? And I, I don't want to hear that, 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 you know, that he's this incredible talent. I know he's an incredible talent. I've, I've watched him since he's in the United Academy. I watched him at Juventus. I know how good he can be. Yeah. But he hasn't been good for United. And there's no argument to be made that he has been a good signing for United. They paid $89 million for him, plus another $40 million in agent fees and sign-on fees. And what, got the Europa him, League and the League Cup? Yeah, you know, is that mm. what they bought him for? Mm. And isn't he out of contract next summer? Yeah. I, I don't know. So, I think he's out of contract next summer. I think he signed a five-year deal in 2016, so that will put him out of contract next summer. And... While Mino Raiola will play them along, oh, you know, he will sign a new contract. He has no intention of signing a new contract unless he gets the word that Real Madrid or PSG or mm. Juventus don't have interest. Because the only reason he went there in the first place is that Real turned their back on him because they were the club he wanted to join. Um, I think they're going to end up losing him for either for free or if they have one of those weird like add-on years that they put into deals, yeah, that's they'll get like 50 million from next summer. Yeah, but oh, you can't you can't argue that he's been good for them, and and don't use the fact that he was you know placed fifteenth in the <laughs> World Player of the Year in two thousand and sixteen as an example. That was based on what he did at Juve. Yeah, um, yeah, I totally agree with you. And and I will say one thing on the Cavani signing because I am a, a supporter of a club that has to do these weird buying a player in this position means that we can free up a player in a different position so that we don't have to dip into the market in that area. The Cavani signing, I think the thing that's smartest about it is they clearly missed out on all of their right-wing targets, right? They brought in somebody that can join in January, but he's young and I'm not expecting him to do much. What what does he play, like two Serie A matches? Um, But Mm. the signing of Cavani means that now you can just fully commit to Greenwood's a winger for now. Maybe even Martial's a winger for now. He has done it before and he's fine. Why they continue to replace... They're talented young strikers in Rashford and and Martial with aging strikers like they did with Ibrahimovic. They've done it again here. And they did it with Falcao before. I will never understand. But I think the idea is we miss out on our right wing targets. If we bring in a good enough number nine, which Cavani still can be. We'll see how it works out. Now you can open up Greenwood who has been already playing on the wing. And then Martial could potentially move back to the wing. And then that air quotes solves the winger issue. But you know what else would have solved a winger issue? Buying one. It's a it's a D for me, and it's only a D because I actually think Telles and Cavani are decent signings. Van de Beek is a talented player, but I don't see how it fits. But it, it, it emotionally that, should be an F. 
I can't confirm this, but I heard that they were so desperate to sign a right winger that they've already approached the White House to sign Donald Trump in January. <laughs> that, that's how desperate they are for a right winger. No, I can't confirm that, but that's what yeah. I've heard on the grapevine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that, that makes a lot of sense. I, I think he's about to actually be released on a free here in the States. Uh, hopefully so will <laughs> be available to be brought in uh we'll move on to newcastle united who i think you know given everything had a pretty good window newcastle fans were obviously really concerned heading into this window especially after another buyout collapsed I, they've done really well here though anytime you can improve your attack midfield and defense in the same window you deserve credit um the play style isn't always uh enticing shall we say but it could be if if they played St. Maximin, Almiron, Fraser, and Wilson all together, that would that would be in theory an attractive bunch. I'm not sure uh, <laughs> Bruce will ever allow us to see all of them together, but that that is a pretty decent group of four attacking players. Obvious question marks over Wilson and, and Fraser after how South um, Bournemouth seasons season went last year, but talented players nonetheless, and it clearly just isn't going to work out. For um, Joel Anton's just not a striker, and he's not a winger, so I don't really know what the point of him is. But you know, at least it was only forty million. But we we won't rake people over the coals for last year. This is a good this is a good window. Bringing in Jeff Hendrick, I, I think, was an absolutely fantastic choice. He's already registered a goal and an assist for them. He can play out right, which he's currently doing, uh, which he obviously had to deputize last year for Burnley. Obviously, they have enough players now that he shouldn't have to keep doing that. You pair him with one of the long staffs or or Isaac Hayden. That's a that's a good group. You got uh, you got um, and John Joe, yeah, John Joe, John Joe in there as well. You led the club in goals last year, so you can't you can't forget John Joe. So all of a sudden, that's a really really strong group. Uh, I think where they've arguably done the best, though, well, you could debate striker, but where I think they arguably have done the best is at left back. They have been trying for so long to solve that position. They bring in Jetro Willems, who finally stays fit. He's looking great. Suffers a contact injury. Now he's out. Okay, so you bring in Danny Rose in January. He does relatively well. Not good enough to be bought. That's fine. We'll start the season with Matt Ritchie. He can whip in crosses. Oh, he has a shoulder injury. So you get uh, you you bring in Jamal Lewis. I might have got the timetable wrong on that. They may have already had Lewis when Richie got hurt. But regardless, um, Lewis is a fantastic fullback. Mm. And we keep talking about all of these fullbacks being too attack-minded. That's not really the case for Jamal Lewis. Last year, it was Max Ahrens that was doing the attacking. And Jamal Lewis was staying at home a bit more, cleaning up things. Obviously, Norwich shipped loads of goals. Lots of reasons why. I don't think Jamal Lewis was at fault for too many of them. Um... So I, I really, really like that signing. It wasn't too expensive. Homegrown deals with the, the left-back issue for some time. They shouldn't have to readdress it for a while unless they want backup. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's a fantastic signing. You bring in Vilka, Vilcha, fine, uh, as a good grab for the youth team in the future. I think it sounds like he's going to slot into the U23s for now. Um, they could have done another center back just because they tend to always have center back issues health-wise. Um but the system seems to protect them relatively well, regardless of who they play, at least well enough to stay up, which I think continues to be the objective. But with some of these signings, I think they could push a bit further up the table and maybe maybe even avoid a relegation fight. Obviously started the season well with that one against West Ham, so they aren't, they aren't dwindling at the bottom the way they typically are at the start of year. So I, I think it's a pretty good window. I've given it a B plus. They've spent a fair amount of money. But, you know, bringing in Hendrick and uh, Fraser in on freeze is, is just fantastic business. Like I said, 
Lewis was was pretty inexpensive. Wilson was a little pricey. There were a lot of clubs sniffing around, including Tottenham, including Villa, before they wound up going for Watkins. But uh, on the whole, I, I think this is a pretty dang good window. And, and considering the context surrounding the club, it, it's arguably a great one. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, Wilson, he was another one I thought could have worked for Brighton, uh, who we talked about on, on Monday's pod in the first half of this. You know, they were looking for that kind of big target man who could hold the play up and, and link things up and, and get goals. He would have been a good fit there. I think Newcastle have done really well to get him. Twenty million's a little bit pricey based on what what we saw last year, but all in all, I think it's a good signing. Um, I love the signing of Jamal Lewis. I think that's really clever business. Obviously, he came quite close to Liverpool at one point before they opted for Simicus because it was cheaper. But Lewis is a good signing. Cousin Jeff on a free, you can't go wrong. Ryan Fraser. Uh, hopefully we get the good Ryan Fraser of like two years ago and not what we saw last year, which was an abomination. I think it will take him a little bit of time since since like April, um, March and his attitude last year stank. But he chose Newcastle. That's the key. He chose Newcastle. Wilson chose Newcastle. Hendrick chose Newcastle. Lewis wanted to go to Liverpool, but that deal wasn't there for him. And then he chose Newcastle. These guys want to be at the club, and I think that's big for Newcastle. There's talent and attack. I think Jolington can work if not expected to be a number nine. I think he can play with Wilson as long as he's kind of the nine and a half who plays just off him and does a lot of the dirty work and the link-up play. Um, they've got good options at wide, really good options in central midfield, like really strong in central midfield. I think they'll be able to go horses for courses a lot. Hayden's good. Shelby's good. The Longstaffs are both talented. Cousin Jeff can play there, like you said. Um, would have liked to see them kind of sign a a right back, but then at the same time, they may not need to because if they're going to play a flat four, then Mankio can play there and he's he's solid there. Kraft can play there and he's solid there. Like you, I think maybe a centre-back could have been useful, but they do have bodies to at least throw at that problem. Fernandez was their best centre-back last year. Lachelle's is probably their best centre-back overall. We had a down year last year. Shar is, he's decent, you know, he's he's reliable. He had a down year last year, but I think he'll be all right. Clark can play a little bit. I think they could have maybe done with getting in a better backup goalkeeper, especially with Dubravka out for a little while. They could maybe have looked to get somebody in, even if it was just a six-month loan. Um, but all in all, yeah, I think a B. I think it's a solid window. Key for them. Didn't lose anybody of any real importance. And um, like you, I, I originally thought before the signings, when I, when I first predicted the league table, I thought they'll be doing well to get 17. That was my initial thought. Mm. Now I think... 13th, 14th is a real a real possibility for them, which is you know around where they were last year, and uh, and that is fine. They'll wait for their takeover. It will happen. I'm convinced that the club will be will be sold by this time next year. Um, it may even be sold be sold to the Saudi group. They may find a way to come to terms with the Premier League on on how to get that deal done. But uh, I think it's it's a promising window for Newcastle, and it will, you know, it it should keep them up. Um, next up then we have we have Sheffield United mm-hmm. um, so they did 
a decent amount of business, most of it with uh, championship clubs. Uh, obviously, bringing Aaron Ramsdale back to the club from relegated Bournemouth. They paid a, a big premium for him, but they needed a goalkeeper after Dean Henderson's loan ended. Uh, they brought brought in Max Lowe and Jaden Bogle from Derby, two really exciting young wing-backs who should fit their system very, very well, will be long-term players for them. Oli Burke from West Brom in kind of a, a swap deal, I suppose, for Callum Robinson, a little bit of cash going one way or the other. Uh, it's, it's a gamble because he's obviously been highly touted and he was highly rated as a young player, but he is now 23. It didn't work from at Leipzig. It didn't work from at West Brom. Mm. He did okay on loan at Celtic and he did okay on loan at Alaves, but it remains to be seen what he actually is as a footballer. Is he a striker? Is he a winger? I think they'll use him as a striker. Sheffield United um, like these gambles, though. Uh, I do. forget That's who they were last they year, but they did a couple of the, like formerly high prospects that had kind of fallen off it, and they were like, "Yeah, we'll see if it works." I don't think yeah. either. And if did, you look though. at even the likes of John Fleck, was was that at Rangers? He was mm-hmm. this highly touted player, kind of went off the the radar for a while, dropped down to Coventry, and and worked his way back up. But they're two big gems. Ethan Ampadu on loan, I think, is a brilliant signing. I think he's a tremendous young player. Rian Brewster is a, a great young striker. It's a big fee, but I think he is what they needed. I think they needed that goal scorer. He'll work well with both Lise Mousset and Ollie McBurney. Um, I think both of them are, are better suited playing with like a penalty box player. Um, I would have liked one more in midfield. And I, the window's still open, so maybe they will. I think they need a little bit more creativity from midfield and maybe someone who's a little bit closer to Sander Berger's level because Berger is a very good player. And then, you know, Lundstrom, Norwood and Fleck, they're good. They're they're solid, but they're quite a bit below. There's a big drop off from Berger to them. I think somebody maybe who's better than them and has the potential to reach a higher level, you know, if they could get their old academy graduate David Brooks back, you know, and play him in, in that midfield three as the attacking one, it could be great, but the money would be huge. I doubt they'll do it. But all in all, I think it's a it's a good window, but maybe they've left themselves a little bit short. I I think I'll go B minus, but I am more leaning towards a C plus. I'll go B minus because I do like Chris Wilder and I think Brewster can get them the goals they need. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. 
For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I, I have been a fair bit harsher on them. I've gone with a C minus. As you know, I don't believe in Ramsdale. We'll see if they can turn that around. I do like the Ampadu alone. Um, Burke's an interesting one. I really think this window is all going to land on Rian Brewster, but that's where most of their money went, and it's to a position where they already had five other ones. Now, admittedly, none of the other ones seemed particularly convincing, and now one of them has joined West Brom on loan, but I I just don't really understand where they're going. They struggled in a lot of areas statistically last year, but continued to, to outperform any of that on the pitch, and I do think that some of that is tactics. I think there are certain times when the, the way a team plays makes their statistics look air quotes wrong um but it feels like they definitely needed more creativity and instead they've just gone for a striker that they're hoping can score without it as i kind of alluded to when we were talking about palace uh in part one i don't know i i feel like they kind of captured lightning in a bottle last year and i'm just not confident they're going to be able to do it again obviously we know um they they hit some divots after the restart very unfortunately against aston villa um then they got the win against tottenham but but didn't really put a lot of, of success together afterwards. I I do really like Wilder. I'm not saying that his, his tactics are gimmicky or that people will be able to find them out, but people will be more aware of what they are. And I don't know if they've done enough movement-wise to correct that. Um, still some players I like there, obviously. I'm just not optimistic about them. I don't, I don't think I'd have them in the top 10 right now, would you? No, no, um, not at all. I... I... I felt it'd be a drop-off anyway because, you know, second-season syndrome is a real thing. And I think teams do get a little bit more used to you and get a little bit more used to the nuances of your of your system. Uh, originally, I had them 14th when I, when I originally uh, predicted the mm. league. I think they're going to be a little bit lower than that, though. Um, I think the lack of creativity in midfield is an issue. I think I'm a little bit concerned about the centre-back situation as well because... With Jack O'Connell out injured, Jack Robinson is playing, and nothing against him, but he's not a centre-back. Mm. He's not a centre-back in a two or a three. He's a left-back. Do you think that becomes and Ampadu? I think Ampadu comes into the middle and maybe Egan goes and plays on the left side is probably the yeah, best. Yeah, but then you're tinkering the with a very guy. specific setup. I yeah. know, and that's the problem. That's the issue for them. Last season, pre-lockdown when they were able to play basically the same goalkeeper, defense, and midfield every game, other than when Berger came in, but he was so good that he improved them. The system just worked perfectly because everybody was so locked in on their role, and everybody in that team has a very specific role. You know, like the left centre-back, the left wing-back, and the left midfielder, and the right centre-back, right wing-back, and right midfielder all rotate positions continually and each of them knows how to do each of those three roles to varying levels the central center back and the central defensive midfielder they're the ones that stick in the same position and they they're kind of the the backbone of it 
if you move Egan, you lose part of your backbone. Last season, after the lockdown, then they suffered an injury in defence and Jack Robinson came into the team. And if you look at their results when they started to fall off the cliff, it was when Jack Robinson came into the team. Because when lockdown ended and we, we got Project Restart, they had a real chance at not just European football, but Champions League football. They were right in that mix. And then they fell off. So it is it is a risk to start tinkering around with too much. But, I mean, the only way they they get better, the only way they become a fixture in the Premier League is to start moving on from some of the players. And, and they're good players. Don't get me wrong. Like, Basham's a good player. Won their player of the year last year. Egan's a good player. O'Connell's really good. And he's, he's the one I would stick with long-term in that defense. But, you know, certain players you've had since you were in League One and they did well in the championship. They've been to the Premier League. They did all right. But I think that's why I, I really love the signing of Jaden Bogle for them. I know they were in for Matty Cash, but they went for Bogle instead. And I think it's a good signing. I think he's got the talent to be as good as Cash and they got him a lot cheaper because I think Baldock is one of those players who gets found out this year. I think Norwood perhaps gets found out. Now, we might see more of Berger in that holding role. But again, Lundstrom and Fleck might get found out a little bit at this level as well. Um, Stevens, I think, will be fine for the year. But I think they are going to have to start turning this team over a little bit, getting a higher caliber of player in more of the Burgers, the Brewsters and that type of thing. And if they could somehow manage to convince Chelsea to let them keep Ampadu long term, I mean, he could be he could be absolutely sensational for them. I think he's he's a brilliant young centre. I, I don't understand why Chelsea let him go. I would have started him at holding midfield for them. Mm. Him and Kante or him and Kovacic solves a lot of the problems there. You don't need Declan Rice. Just play the guy you already own. He's just as talented. Yeah, um, but they won't figure that out. <laughs> no, they won't. No, not at all. That's not the shiny thing, you see. Declan Rice <laughs> is the shiny thing. But what will happen is they'll sell Ampadu for $20 million or $25 million, and then he'll have two good years, and they'll be like, oh, look at this guy. Oh. Did we know this guy existed? Look at this guy. <laughs> no, but we let him go. No, we didn't let him go. We wouldn't let a player like that go. $80 million for him right now. That's what will happen. It will happen. <laughs> it's what they do. Um, but... Yeah, I, I, you're probably right, and I probably should drop it. I'll go to a C plus, uh, and you can go C minus, and we'll average out a C because they just they haven't done enough. They've left themselves a little bit short, and you do worry a little bit about the lack of depth in yeah. certain areas. I'd agree, and actually, that that kind of flows perfectly into Southampton for me, who I might be the harshest on of anyone I've talked to or seen. I've given them a C minus as well. Probably does feel low to a lot of people, but my overall question and the reason why I've come up with this grade is, is their first 11 better now than it was last season? Oh, um, overall, I would say no, it's not. Right? Like they're about the same, probably maybe a little worse. Like Diallo and Salisu are great signings. Don't get me mm. wrong, but they don't for immediately next. supplant the players that are ahead of them. It's not an outright yes for me that Walcott in his current state is better than Armstrong, who has been, who actually I think had a pretty quietly strong year last year. And they already had Walker Peters last season, at least the second half of it. So, like, their signings were smart. They didn't have to spend much on them. The Hoybier Kyle Walker Peters swap was great for both clubs. They make $3 million on top of bringing in Walker Peters, which is great. But they've stayed the same or gotten a little worse, at least in the short term for me. They need Ings to stay healthy or Che Adams to take a step forward. They have one left back in the squad in Bertrand. Walker Peters can cover there, but Bertrand's been hurt before. He's gotten red cards before. 
all of a sudden you're playing Walker Peters over there. Then you have to play um, Valerie on uh, at right back, who I actually think is pretty talented, but he played badly enough that you went and bought Kyle Walker Peters. So you've already weakened yourself there. I, I'm just not impressed by this window. I mentioned in the first half with Brighton. Brighton and Southampton were the two clubs that I was like, if they make the right moves, I think they have the manager in place, they have the style in place. You bring in the right pieces and they could make like a five-spot jump. Yeah. And I don't think either did enough to actually do it. Hazen Hoodle's a fantastic coach. I don't think Southampton will be anywhere near a relegation fight. I think we're seeing some crazy results, so I, I'm not putting a lot of stock in, in the drubbing that they received from Tottenham. But... I expected more. I expected more in the window. I think I expected more from them heading into this season. And after this window, I'm confident that they'll be better than last year in two or three years. But where does that put the rest of the squad? I mean, it's a pretty young squad, I suppose, if you think about it. But I I don't know. I I thought they would be better now, and I don't think they are. Yeah, I agree. Um, When you think about it, like Danny Ings is 28. Last season was his first real season proving he can be a top-end goal scorer because his first year there, he wasn't good at all. Um, I look at their squad and I, I do have concerns. When the, when the Walker-Peters deal went through, I was like, right, they need four more. They need a centre-back. They need a holding midfielder to replace Heusberg. They need someone, because they play that box midfield, so they need one basically in each line, a centre-back, a holding midfielder, an attacking midfielder to play with Jenepo or with Armstrong in that advanced two. And I think they need one more in attack because I like Michael Ob- Ob- Michael Obafemi, but he's very raw and he clearly needs a loan somewhere to go and play regularly. Um, I, I you know, have a thing for Shane Long because he's Irish, but I mean, he's, he's not a goal scorer. He's not going to get you a whole ton. I do like Che Adams, and obviously Ings is, is good. But it's like, if they could just get one more, someone who's maybe in between where Adams is now and where Ings is, even if that's just their level, they don't need to become Danny Ings, but just someone who's slightly better, better than Adams and can allow Adams a bit more time to develop. They didn't do that. They didn't get the player to play an attacking midfield. I'm actually taking a mark off them for the signing of Theo Walcott, who has just been trash for a couple of years now. And I'm sorry, he doesn't fit their style at all. He's an awful fit. For it's how just they a feel play. good factor. It's all it is literally just last minute. The window hasn't gone how we wanted to. We're a little bit panicked. Let's just go and get somebody who'll make the fans happy. It's a nice story, but Theo Walcott's not a premier league player anymore. Um, he can't, you know, unless you go, maybe they'll play him through the middle with Ings and maybe that works. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's not like he's been a, a fantastic goal scorer. He's had one kind of standout goal year, which was 2013. He got 21 goals. Actually, two, 2017. He Remember got when the debate was whether or not he was better than Bale, who won four Champions Leagues? Yes, yes, I, I do remember that debate, <laughs> and I think that debate is well put to bed. But, I mean, you look at him for Everton the last... Look at look at his last, you know, couple of years. Seven goals, six goals, and two goals last year. He's not going to add a whole lot to this team. I like Salisu. I think him and Bednarak long-term will be a good pairing. But, like you say, you're looking at a little while to, to settle in, to develop, to become the player he can be. Um, I like Diallo. And by all accounts, he's very highly rated, but 
they they had the opportunity to sign Sangera, who would have been better now. Now, people tell me Diallo is going to be better in two to three years than Sangera. I've no reason to doubt them. But for the the right now, Sangera was the one they managed to mess that up. Um, this window, what this window really highlighted to me, Kev, though, was how bad they have been in the transfer market over the last couple of years. So just to give you a couple of names here, Sophie and Buffal, who they paid 18 million for, left on a free. Guido Carrillo, mm. Carrillo who they paid, I think, 21 million for. And had he never scored more than equals in a season. Yeah, he left on a free. El Yanassi, who they paid 16 million for, he went and loaned to Celtic. Lamina, who they paid around 15 million for, went and loaned to Fulham. And Wesley Hoyt, who they paid 15 million for and was to be the replacement for Van Dyke, went and loaned to Lazio. There is what? That's what? The best part of 90 million gone out the door with absolutely no return. I mean, that is shocking for a club like Southampton. They can't afford that type of failure. And it's not just those names. There's others we could go through as well. But that's what this window really highlighted to me was just how bad they have been in the transfer market. And the funny thing is, when I look at their squad and you try and you, know, you look at a squad and you try and think, well, what's the best position for that team? Where are they strongest? And unfortunately for them, it's goalkeeper. Alex McCarthy's a good goalkeeper. Fraser Forster's mm. a good goalkeeper. And Angus Gunn is a good goalkeeper. Yes, he had a nightmare year last year, but he's a good goalkeeper. But you can only play one of them. So so why <laughs> why have you kept all three? Like I don't understand why they why they didn't sell Forster or Gunn. If if McCarthy is the number one, then one of the other two needs to go. Even if it's out on loan, maybe maybe one of them will still go on loan. We have days left in the window. But it just to me, it's it's not a good window. It's a C minus from me. I, I thought there was promising signs. I, I liked the early business with uh, with Walker Peters and with Salisu. I thought, you know, they're going to get Sangare. That's going to be great. And then they, maybe they'll go and get one more. If they just get one attack, I think they need the two, an attacking midfielder and a striker. If they just get one, this will be good. This will be a good window because Jennifer will take a jump. And, and, you know, Redmond is still only 26 and he's still useful and, They'll be all right. Is Redmond really still only 26? 26 years of age. Holy yeah. crap. <laughs> yeah. March 6, 1994. Made his debut in 2010 for Birmingham. So he's been around a long, long time. He's mm. been there at Southampton for four years now. Um, and people forget he was actually at Norwich. But yeah, uh, he, he is bizarrely uh, only, only 26 years of age. Because um, I I think of him as been like thirty. Easy. I think they <laughs> yeah. had him as been thirty. But um, yeah, it's a C minus for me as well. And then this leads us into your team, mm. Tottenham Hotspur, who had a a very busy window. So just to give you a couple of the highlights, mm-hmm. uh, Jan Vertonghen and Michelle Vorm released at the end of their contracts. Uh, Troy Parrott loaned out. Ollie Skip loaned out. Juan Voigt loaned out. Ryan Sessegnon uh, loaned out. Uh, loans in include Gareth Bale and Carlos Vinicius. And the, si- the signings they've brought in, uh, Pierre-Emile Heusberg, Alfie Devine from Wigan, another good young signing, Joe Hart, Matt Doherty, Sergio Regulon, and then a couple of young players on freeze, Keenan Ferguson, Toby Amole and uh, Marcel Livinier, who will all just be depth players for the 23s. But 
What do you make of it? It's it's a lot of business. Oof, it's it's very so much. Very unspurs. It's very on us. It's like it's like we we all of a sudden remember that we could sign players and you're like, oh, we should have been doing that for three years. Let's just let's just do it all now. Uh as you say, it, it's it's a lot of players. For me, though, I don't care how you cut it. This has to be an A-plus window for Tottenham. In less than 18 months, Mourinho managed the painful rebuild that Pochettino kept espousing, but didn't end up being able to stick around for. And as you pointed out, we've brought in starting caliber players at striker, right back, defensive midfield, left back, and right wing. The striker, Carlos Vinicius, we tried for loads of strikers. David and I were on WhatsApp pretty regularly, like, oh, is it this one? Is it that one? Mm. Oh, we're being linked over here. Veghorst, who we mentioned all the time, was was one briefly. Bellotti and Milik in Italy. And and what I actually think is really funny is, is Tottenham were, were sneaking and, and sliding in the darkness. Because while we had um, sent our uh, head of recruitment to Italy... He was obviously trying to work on the Milan Screenier deal, but also the rumor was that he was meeting with Bellotti and Milik's agents uh, while he was over there. What really happened is we sent negotiators down to Benfica to sign Carlos Vinicius. So everybody thought we were going the Italian route for three signings. We end up with none of them, and we end up bringing in Carlos Vinicius, who had like a $90 million buyout. Um, but we mentioned uh, previously, I forget who we were talking about, oh, Manchester United, that Benfica lost their play-in game in the Champions League. So all of a sudden, they need money for the signings that they've already made, including the wages of one Jan Vertonghen. So all of a sudden, they have to get rid of somebody. Carlos Vinicius sliding down in in the the pecking order for them, uh, tactically, but he was the joint top scorer last year in Liga Nos, the Portuguese league, with 18 goals. And he is one of the most lethal finishers in Europe. And is terrific at both finding and creating space because he has a big old frame at, at 6'3 plus. Um, there are weaknesses in his game. First of all, he's a late bloomer, which I am always hesitant to trust because when you have that one breakout year at 25, I don't know. Why didn't it happen sooner? Obviously, started at smaller Brazilian clubs, played in the Portuguese B League, was at Monaco for six months or a year. Napoli bought him at one point. Um, so he's had a he's had a windy career. Um, but his finishing rate last year was just exceptional. The finishes don't look brilliant. Uh, they look very, um, tidy, if anything. Um, but all of this costs us three million pounds this year to loan him in from Benfica. A backup striker only took us a literal whole calendar year to replace Lorente. Uh, and we bring him in for three million. If he does well, then we trigger the buy clause for 35 to 40 million. If he doesn't do well, he just goes anyway. And word on the street is that we're actually still lining up um, Milik, who will be on a free next year. So we're paying $3 million this year, and then we'll get him on a free next year. We'll see how he performs. We'll see how Vinicius performs. But pretty sneaky if that is what we're aiming at. But fantastic that we finally have a backup striker. Defensive midfielder, we talked about. Pierre-Emile Hoybier, he is so good on the pitch. I was actually kind of hesitant about this one. I was surprised that Jose Mourinho said this was the defensive midfielder that we wanted because, yes, he finished well with tackle and interception statistics last year, but he's not really a defensive midfielder. He played that role kind of for a year, but it was still largely with Romeo next to him, who, you know, is actually a defensive midfielder. So I think what he brings is he's able to press, he's able to intercept the ball, so it, it mimics what a defensive midfielder would do. He's also the one that will drop back into a back three when we're attacking now that we have 
wingbacks that attack on both sides rather than just the lopsided attack that we did last year with Aurier getting forward but Davis staying back. But what has become instantly clear is that Hoybier is basically a manager on the pitch. Constantly calling out passes, positioning all of those around him, shouting at them to get into spots, praising players when they've done things well. It is He's the most vocal midfielder I think I've seen at Tottenham. Could could be missing somebody dumb that's very obvious, but it, it is just fantastic the way he orders everyone around. And the thing that he was supposed to do when he was brought in was bring out the best in Ndombele, and that is already happening. He's already thriving with Hoybier next to him, and that is just so, so, so encouraging. Um, so love the Hoybier deal. He cost us $3 million in Walker-Peters. <laughs> right back. You mentioned earlier Matt Dougherty. There were other options there. And he was brought in in a bit of a weird way, obviously with some of the Mendes stuff, with some of the shady stuff that was happening at Wolves with their wing back positions. Obviously, Wolves fans were like, there's no way we're going to let go of our star right wing back for 12 to 15 million. Well, that's exactly what happened. Now, I don't know if he's capable of playing a traditional right back role. I think he has to play as a, a wing back, but that's what allows the uh, Hoybier thing where he can step back into defense will allow Dougherty to constantly bomb forward on the right. The only tactical issue I see here is Alderweireld's getting older. I think that might be one of the reasons why we're seeing more and more of Dyer and Sanchez as a pairing, which I do not love. But um, the issue getting forward, which Dougherty is typically great at, is that he tends to run into the channel rather than stay out wide. But we always have right wingers that want to cut in. So I can see a little bit of blockage in that space. Um, but we've already seen him get into the box. He had a great shot uh, against Everton that Pickford happened to be on a good day, so he saved. Um, but excited to see what he can offer on the right. And if he doesn't stick, if the tactical nuances of his play are, are too out of step with how Tottenham are playing, the good news is that he's already made Serge Aurier play way better. For those that saw the Manchester United match, he was dominant. He handled Rashford defensively and Luke Shaw when he was on the overlap, and then filled the space behind those two when they were still stuck in transition. So was so, so impressed with him. And it's not just the goal. It's easy to say a defender had a good match when they scored a goal, but the performance was fantastic, and we've seen that from him in the other competitions that we've had to play loads in already. Um, the other side of the pitch, I, I avoided saying his name when talking about how we have two attacking wingbacks. We signed Sergio Regulon. Dave, in the in the summer uh, show that we did after the end of the restart, we talked about how you know City were probably a good landing spot, and that he would probably replace Mendy within a month. That like that's how talented this kid is, and mm, now he's definitely. rocked up at Tottenham. It's it's absolutely incredible. He is the best passing left back I've seen at Tottenham since a certain Welshman in that position. Um, but Regulon explodes off the screen when you watch him. The way he plays, the way he moves, always talking. You can literally see him shifting his hips and his eyes like every microsecond. Like he's just constantly reading everything and adjusting. Already really good at committing himself to a challenge, knowing when to time them. Loads of interceptions. Already has nutmegged uh, Marcus Rashford uh, on the wing. He handles all of his defensive duties well. He has the pace to get forward and contribute and attack. He can cut inside. He can pass inside. He can stay on the out wide and cross. He offers everything. And then he has the pace and stamina to get all the way back to defend. We are getting to this era where so many wingbacks and fullbacks are exclusively attacking-minded. We've talked about it loads on both of these shows. But Regulon is one of those players that can fully do both. And there aren't many players with the pace and stamina to, to deputize the entire flank and cover every role that's required at every stage of the pitch. 
Um, when Ori is at his best, he can do it on the other side. So we're we're really setting ourselves up very, very well here. Um, I, I cannot believe that we managed to bring him in. And just for 25, and just because United weren't willing to accept a buyback clause from Real Madrid. Obviously, that is the one weak side of this deal, is, is we're seeing how good Regulon is already, and Tottenham fans are already worried about leaving him. But word from the club is that we're confident we can convince him to stay after year two. He can leave after year one. Uh, if Real Madrid want him, but as you mentioned earlier, they'll still have Marcelo, they'll still have Ferland Mendy. You wouldn't expect it to happen that soon. And if he decides to stay, he stays. <laughs> they can't force him to go back. Um, and even if he does go back, we make twenty million off of it. But I'm just, I'm so delighted with him. I have him. I mean, by the end of the year, he'll be easily a top five left back in England and probably top three for me. I don't, I don't know top how that three, strikes I you. So. I think, yeah, I think top three as well. And then. With with who? It's it's Robertson Dina or Robertson Chilwell steps up? No, I think it's Robertson Dina Regulon. I think yeah. it's Robertson Dina Chilwell now. Yeah. Now Alex Tellez could become He could. But I I, I think Regulon's a better player and I think, you know, he's he's younger Both and more ways likely for sure. Tellus is very good. And here's the other thing on the on the Regulon deal, Kev. Give it six months and don't be surprised if you hear that Spurs are talking to Real about buying out the buyback clause. Yeah. That they're going to give them another 10 million or so to remove the buyback clause and just make him, you know, a Spurs player, no questions asked, which is what United should have done if they were a well-run club. I think it's what Spurs will do. Mm. Um, And I suppose you're obviously most excited, well, from a nostalgic point of view, you're probably most excited about the one signing you haven't mentioned yet. Yeah, we were building up to it. I mentioned a certain Welshman when talking about Sergio Regulon, but I wanted to give Regulon his flowers first because it's very easy to be overwhelmed in a double deal, which is what's happened here. But Gareth Frank Bale is a Tottenham Hotspur player again. It's just, it's so unreal that he's back at Tottenham. The amount of financial wizardry and negotiation nonsense that Levy had to pull off to get Bale back at Tottenham is absurd. So for those that aren't aware, there is no loan fee. We are paying him 220 k a week in wages, which is equal with Kane. It's only 40% of his wages, which is absurd. Why did Madrid give him so much money? Oh, because they won like two leagues and four Champions Leagues. That's right. Um, but it's, it's incredible the way that we've done this. It's a one-year loan with an option, but it isn't to buy. I originally thought it was an option to buy. It's an option to extend the loan on the same terms for a second year. So still not financially responsible for him entirely. After that after that year, he's 33. Is he still good? Maybe we keep him. If he's not good, he can just walk and do whatever he wants. But Real Madrid will be losing Gareth Bale after that second year for free if we pick up that option, which is how much they wanted him gone. Bale wanted gone... <laughs> He was linked to Manchester United, but he knew he was the second option to Jadon Sancho. Didn't like that. Loved the idea of coming home. At least that's what him and Jonathan Barnett have said uh, whenever asked. But of course they would. But having him back is just, it's its honestly incredible. I texted you earlier in the summer talking about how the secret Tottenham need was that we needed a free kick taker or a dead ball taker. Hey, look, it's Gareth freaking Bale. It's going to rock up and take all of those dead ball opportunities. Erickson was good at it in his prime, but then obviously regressed very quickly. This happens at Tottenham. People come back. They have excellent starts with their dead ball situations. Uh, happened with Vondervaart. Happened with Erickson. Uh, even happened with Chadley briefly when he was on them. 
Um, so having somebody that can actually succeed from those situations is crucial for us. Not just trying to score the free kicks, which obviously people have seen in this high rate reel, but it hasn't happened as much lately. But just having good free kicks, having good set pieces, having good corners is so crucial. It's a part of Tottenham's game that was missing so much last season. And, you know, maybe it's only 5 to 10 goals in a season, but those goals happen in individual matches where a goal is what changes the result from a loss to a draw or a draw to a Mm. win. So those are going to be absolutely vital for us. Um, I've seen a lot of other fan bases thinking Tottenham fans are overreacting, kind of like you mentioned with the the Southampton-Walcott deal, people just excited to see him back. And they're like, oh, you shouldn't be excited. He's not going to be 2013 Bale. Nobody's expecting him to be 2013 Bale. He's not... We're not, and we don't need him to be. He doesn't have to go and score us 20 goals for us to reach our objectives this season. We just need, I, I was talking to Seifu about this earlier, who used to edit the show, Dave, you know, um, mm. about what do we need from Gareth Bale? And I told him the best version of Gareth Bale for us this season is if he has more assists than goals. Yes. <laughs> because we have Kane. We have Son. They'll score the goals. What we're missing is a creator. Ever since Erickson's dip and then eventual departure, Lamella doesn't start regularly enough. Lacelso isn't a true 10 in that he'll be the one setting up the goals. He'll he'll dictate play, but he won't set them up. And Dombele might create some goals from deep. He's our first deep-lying playmaker since Modric. <laughs> but we need somebody that is going to set up the goals. And I think if, if Gareth Bale ends up with more assists than goals, that will be a successful season for him for us. If he goes like six goals, nine assists, that will be a fantastic season. For us, because that's what we need. We need him to help set other people up. And we've seen for Wales what, you know, he doesn't have the insane burst of pace, the insane, I'm going to win this game on my own style that he used to. But what he does do is attract defenders to him and open up spaces for others around him. And then if you sit off him too much, then yeah, maybe he'll he'll hit a banger from like 30, 35 yards. But we don't need that every match. If he helps us turn five results, five to 10 results, from a loss to a draw or a draw to a win. Mm-hmm. That is the difference between That's us. more than enough. It's, it's way more than enough, especially if the target is top four. Like that easily takes us from arguing about top four to being in the top four. And we mentioned in the first section, both of us have them there now. And it's yeah. definitely the expectation at the club now. And I had them there before. I That's think the fair. squad from last year was, was a top four squad. But now I don't think there can be any can be any question yeah and if they fall short there will definitely be questions raised and the other objective has to be winning a trophy you have jose you have this squad that you've spent Mm -hmm. all of this money on well kind of so much money on. we'll get to that in a second but you bring in all of these players that have won stuff i think i saw something that five of the six players that we've brought in have won trophies previously and obviously like we had it before with erickson and toby and Jan, where they dominated in 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 england but I think Hoybier was part of the. Oh, I'm not going to list all of them. It'll, it'll be. Hoybier at Bayern. Yeah, Hoybier at Bayern. Won a title. Bale, Regular obviously, everything at Madrid. Yep, Regulon both with Madrid and with uh, Sevilla, right? Would he yes. have won something his year with Madrid? Oh, I think I think he was part of a Champions League squad at mm. Madrid. If I'm not yeah. mistaken, I think that's the that's the case. Yeah. Um, Hart. Hart has won titles, and I I think um, I'd imagine the one who hasn't is Matt Doherty. It is. Yeah. Um, for me, I, I look at the squad, you've got Lloris, Gassaniga and Hart in goal. That's, you know, I, I think a long-term first choice is something I would have looked for. Maybe yeah. like, you know, a really hyper-talented 19, 20, 21 year old. 
Um, and, and then you could have maybe moved Gasaniga on. I still think he's your second best goalkeeper as things stand. He won't be played there because Joe Hart fills the uh, homegrown rule. <laughs> the homegrown quota, exactly. Now, at right back, look, I'm not a big fan of Doherty as a right back. As a wing back, I do like him. But as you say, he has made Aurier up his game. And the thing is, Spurs against United played a 4-3-3 on paper. But in attack, it became a 3-4-3. Because like you said, Heuberg mm-hmm. drops back and kind of sits just in front of the centre-backs, but does basically form a back three. And then both full-backs push up, become wing-backs. And the two flanking midfielders kind of come a little bit narrower to play as a midfield too. And it becomes that 3-4-3. So you've got Doherty and, and Aurier at right-back. You've got uh, Regulon, who I think is a is a brilliant signing. I think it's a fantastic signing. And like I say, I think it'll be more than just, you know, he's there till Madrid want him back. I think Spurs will, will figure out a way to, to get to keep him. Um, and then Ben Davies. Now, obviously, the odd one out then is Danny Rose, and it's weird to me that he's still at the club. I think it's a little yeah. bit unfair. And he's rejecting championship loans. I really don't yeah. know what he's playing at. I don't know. I don't know what his end game is. I really don't. Um, it's it's just a bizarre decision on his behalf. Like if he he he. Fair enough. He might not make the England squad if he's playing in the championship. He definitely won't make it. He doesn't even have a squad number. At Spurs he won't make now. it regardless. Like yeah. that's the well, issue. That's the is thing. is he at thinks he, he is so much better than he is now. Um, in midfield, if they're going to play a four-three-three, then Sissoko, Hoisberg, and Endembele is the three, and then that allows you to have Jedson, uh, Harry Winks, and Lacelso as the backup three, and that's really Sissoko strong. over Lacelso for you. That's interesting. Purely on the basis of, I think you need that powerhouse. I think you need that engine. And what Certainly he's worked against United, good, yeah. Exactly. He's not a particularly good footballer, but he's an incredibly good athlete. He's very, very hardworking. And he, Mourinho does seem to have faith in him. And that when he has a manager who has faith in him, you do sort of get the best out of him. Um, I think in certain games you'll play Endembele and Lacelso, but what you can't afford to do is to play Harry Winks and Heusberg. Because in the games they played together, it just didn't really work. Yeah, there's no point playing both of them. No, because... The thing is, Heusberg was brought in to be kind of the fulcrum who can you can build out from the back through. And if Winks is in the team, the centre-backs are just automatically programmed to give the ball to him. Because when it was him and Sissoko, you gave the ball to him. Right. So their first look was always, let's give it to Winks. Yeah. And then up front, you've got, you've got Bale, you've got Kane, and you've got Son. And then in reserve, you've got Bergvijn, you've got Carlos Vinicius, and you've got Lucas Moura. So that's again, really strong. And you've still got Eric Lamella. Now, the odd one out in the whole thing is, is Deli Ali because he doesn't really fit in a 4-3-3. Now, you will have the option of playing the diamond at times and, and playing just Kane and Son or Kane and Bale or Bale and Son up front. Yeah, and with and injuries, we might rock the 4-2-3-1, which obviously we're familiar with. You shouldn't. It, you shouldn't. You don't have the Agreed. right set of players for it. Your, your wide players don't want to play as wingers. They want to play as inside forwards. They all want to play closer to goal. Your fullbacks don't want players in their way as they're bombing forward. They want everybody kind of central so they can use that channel to get forward. I'm giving it an A, and I appreciate that it is an A-plus window, but I'm giving it an A for one reason and one reason only. Screenier. He wasn't the one. Mm -hmm. You needed a left-sided centre-back, yeah, not a right-sided centre-back. And all your centre-backs are right-sided. And I'm sorry, but Eric Dyer should not be playing in this team. He is the big weakness in this team. I, I like Davinson. Toby's obviously great. 
I think Tanganga's got massive potential. And I, I don't mind Dyer as a squad player. I think if he's your fourth centre-back and second or third option at holding midfield, you're all right. But the thing with Spurs always was, and especially if you're going to play this system where Heusberg drops back and the centre-backs go wide, it works better with a lefty. And that's why Jan was so important. And I thought Spurs' one need now is a left-footed centre-back who's also comfortable sort of playing as a left-back, kind of a better version of Ben Davies, but more a centre-back, natural centre-back who can play left-back rather than a left-back who can play centre-back. Mm. I thought um, I thought for, for a while, I thought Diallo from PSG would have been perfect. He's he, the other thing is there's no leader in that back line because well, Dan was which the is leader. The issue. Toby is a follower. Well, that's the thing. He's not a leader at all. He's a he's a mouth, but he's not a lot. He's not a leader. Diallo was a natural born leader. He's been captain at every level for French underage. He was captain at Mines. He was a leader at, at Dortmund when he played there. He's not getting his his starts at PSG because they have Presnel Kimbembe. That's not a knock on Diallo. That just shows how good Kembembe is. He he would have been available this summer, in my view. And I think if Spurs had gone for him rather than Scrinier, and I think you could have got him for probably about ten million less than you were even offering for Scrinier, let alone what what Inter were asking. I think he would have completed the puzzle. I think him and Toby with Regulon and and either Doherty or Aurier, and then that midfield and that front three. I think that's a team that not just gets top four, but can really challenge for the title because you've got such depth. Like there is pretty much two players in every single position. All of a sudden. That you're confident. <laughs> you know, I think it's just, it's it's such a strong squad. If it doesn't get top four, I'm sorry, but the Mourinho thing is, is over. Yeah. Uh, not just at Spurs, but in general, like no top club can touch him again because that is a top four squad. All day, all day long. If it had been mm. together a year and was coming back it'd in, it'd be a title eight, challenging one. It'd be a title challenger because they'd know each other so well. If this was, if if everybody had been there for a year and you were just adding, say, Regulon and Bale, you'd be like, that's a title challenging team yeah. because the quality is there. It's so it's so deep as well. There's two in every position. You've got so many different options in midfield. You can play multiple different shapes. You can play a box, a three, a diamond. You know, whatever you want, really. Um, you can play a back three, a back four. You can go four, four, two at times. If you need to go, you can go four to three, one, but mm-hmm. you shouldn't. You've got great options in attack. The only thing that let them down, I think a left side center back, a left footed left side center back was the final piece to the puzzle. So for that reason and that reason only, I give it an A, but talent wise, it's an absolute A plus. You've smashed it. Yeah. Bail on low and on those terms, uh, Carlos Vinicius on those terms. And here's the other thing. You mentioned the possibility that maybe this is just get him on loan for the year and get Milik. Milik's not in the Napoli squad for the Europa, uh, for the for European football. He's yeah. probably not going to be in their domestic squad either. He's not going to play. You'll get him for about 8 million in January. Yeah. And there so, are questions but, about him for sure, but for free, eh. That's the thing. But if Vinicius isn't working and you know by January it's not going to work, True. 8 million for for Milik. Yeah, yeah, not a bad shot. And I will say that the the place where the plus came from isn't just the incomings. It's that we were worried we were going to lose both Ndombele and Aurier. 
Later in the window, we were worried we were going to lose Deli Ali. The fact that we've kept them is why we're too deep at every position. If Deli Ali can get anywhere back to where he was, he, he just needs to play a free role. As soon as he had yeah. to match the tactics that Pochettino was instilling, and even Mourinho was instilling, he he lost it. He, I'm, I'm not trying to say that he's not an intelligent footballer, but he's an instinct-driven one. And when he's able to just go and do general football stuff, he's brilliant. When he's asked to do a thing, he struggles. Um, so anyway, if if you eventually get to a place where you can play him behind Sun, Kane, and Bale, which is just absurd to even say, yeah. it still feels weird coming off the tongue, and he's just allowed to roam the spaces behind them, he could he could cause serious damage. And Dombele, the Premier League is not ready for in-shape, in-form and Dombele. No. Like, everybody got a glimpse last year. The the opening Villa match, he, he dictated... He he was really good in one of the Norch matches, but then we ended up actually losing it. But like people Didn't think he get injured in that game, he, uh, he may Wasn't have. Was that the game he was bossing and then he went off? Yes, after like yes, yes, that's right. And you lost. Yeah, that's right, that's right. But like if Endombele is even if he hasn't progressed at all, even if last year was a down year and this year he gets back to France, Lyon version of Endombele. I mean, it, people people are not prepared for that. You you saw what Endombele and Sissoko just did <laughs> to Pogba last week. Which yeah. is hilarious, considering they're ordering in the French midfield allegedly, but people, people, people just aren't ready. And if Aurier also finally lives up to his potential, I'm not expecting all the way. If if he gets to eighty percent of the player that he could have once been, I mean, like you're saying, like I'm this close to to agreeing that we could be in the title race discussion mm. not not that we'd win it but like will well, there be, be a four-week stretch like where we're like four points off or something like that yeah yeah i mean it's entirely possible i don't think we have enough cohesion like you said and it, and it is a lot of additions i don't want to like discount all of the fulham stuff i said earlier this is a lot of new players at once hoybier has settled immediately he looks like he's been there forever that's an easy one obviously bale familiar with the premier league regulon immediately good uh, already <laughs> so yeah th- there are questions but man the, the the upside of this team is just I'm so looking forward to watching this year, especially after the weird year that was last year. But that's enough. I think we've talked about Tottenham for like 30 minutes yeah, now. The, the last thing but, I would say is just remember who the manager is. Like, yeah, this is not some joker. This and is not, not just some Mourinho. Guy. It's second year Mourinho. Yeah, exactly. And like you say, I mean, there is going to be games where you can just go right. What we're going to do is we're going to play End and Belly and Hoysberg as a midfield two. We're going to put put Delhi in front of them. And we're just going to let them go. And we're just going to go all out attack in this game because we we know we're like, there's an awful lot of teams in the Premier League. When things settle down, the Spurs will be like, we are just much better than this lot. Yeah. And they'll just go and, and they'll go all out attack. And, and I do think we're already seeing signs of little hints of the old Mourinho. And the last point I'll make on Spurs, I think it stands massively to Mourinho and to Endembele that they've been able to mend the relationship yeah. because during the summer, all reports were that relationship is unsalvageable. Either Endembele has to be sold or he needs to be loaned for two years until Jose is gone because he just they, they will not work together. They've managed to patch things up and the performances we've seen from Endembele so far this season do really hint to the fact that Mourinho maybe has gotten into his head Hmm. and maybe has turned him into the player we all thought he was going to be when he landed last summer. Yeah. And if that is the case, that's scary for everybody else because he's just, he's sensational. Fully, fully agreed. 
All right. Uh, next up is West Brom. Uh, Dan currently doing his his uh, walk, his charity walk. Follow him at the Watts Twenty Two or at Baggies underscore Facts if you want to donate to that. In theory, it'll be over by the time you're hearing this. So go back and look at all the pictures that I assume he'll post from it. But uh, shout out to Dan. Um, unfortunately, I don't think this is is the window that West Brom fans, Dan, or the club itself were hoping for. The business that they did do, I think, was great. Getting Pereira, who led the championship in chances created and assists last season, and Grady Diangana, who West Ham players were publicly upset about leaving for a combined $25 million is just silly business. That is incredibly good. Bringing in Robinson from Sheffield United already scored some important goals in that Chelsea match. Bringing in Ivanovic to provide some on-pitch leadership. Maybe just dressing room leadership. Who, who knows if, he, if he'll actually really stick back in, in the starting 11. All of that is good. But that's not enough. I don't know much about uh, Kipre. I assume that's just part of the, the Wiggins sale-off. Mm-hmm. Um, Kravinovic, I think, was already there last year on loan. Yeah. Button, I don't think will really push for that goalkeeping job as much as they need him to. I know Dan's not particularly fond of their current goalkeeper, but it it just it just wasn't enough. It, it, like if you just eye test it, and I don't want to you know relegate scouting and club analysis to just the, the eye test. But does it feel like there are three worse teams than West Brom right now? No, I don't even think it feels like there's two worse teams than West Brom right now. I think it's them and Fulham, and I think it might just be them. Um. Like you, I really like the like keeping Pereira, keeping Diangana. Big, big fan of both players. Makes sense to bring back Kravinovic. They had him last year. Um, and I like Connor Gallagher. I think he's a good loan signing. Obviously, he was going to go to Palace before they switched uh, tact and took Nietzsche on loan instead. But I, again, I, I I don't know much about Kipre, but you know, apparently he's quite decent. Button is, is a a third choice goalkeeper at this level and then nobody should be expecting much more and Callum Robinson I mean didn't they have him last year as well like this is just their championship team um Branislav Ivanovic is not the answer to any question at this point he'll be great from a leadership point of view and from a dressing room point of view and a mentality point of view but I mean he's 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 well past his best uh they don't have a goal scorer there's no one in that team that's going to get, I don't think, 10 Premier League goals unless one of the wingers manages it. Mm. I think they've left themselves maybe one short in midfield, although maybe Gallagher. Maybe it can be Gallagher. I just don't but have a good least... read on if he's ready or not yet. I honestly yes, haven't seen that's enough the of thing. him. It's so hard to know. And they're at least two short at the back. And that's after Ivanovic and Keeper. They're at least two starters short at the back. That defense has been a shambles so far. Yeah, most, uh, most conceded in... in the league. Yeah, I'm a little bit higher on the goalkeeper maybe than than Dan is, but obviously Dan watches it closer than me. And is a goalkeeper. <laughs> and is a goalkeeper. So like maybe he's got a better read on, on Sam Johnson. I, I think he's a decent keeper, but yeah, I can kind of see why you wouldn't be overly keen. Um, there are definitely holes in his game, but why not go in for Gazaniga if you know that's an issue? <sighs> yeah. I mean he's yeah, just I... there. We were trying to give him away and nobody took him. Or Fraser Forster or Angus Gone yep, or yep. you know all those Southampton guys. There's a there's a couple of different guys, but I just think I mean they were in for Carlin Grant. They had a deal for Carlin Grant agreed, and then uh, Huddersfield changed the terms. How was there not an alternative target? That was yeah. a month left in the window. 
I think they've left themselves short. I think they've done themselves a disservice. And I'm sorry, for me, it's an F. And and that's, and that's saying that as someone that loves Pereira and loves Diangana. But, but like if the objective was bringing enough players to stay up, they didn't do it. Yeah. So that's, that's what all they did was they got enough players. They got, they got the right players in to get promoted to the Premier League. Right. They well, because they had them last year. <laughs> exactly. They didn't bring in anyone to keep them in the Premier League. There's no, yeah. that is just their championship squad. Yeah, um, and and Dan foresaw I've, this. He he was talking about how Mark Jenkins stepped down as their chief executive before the summer, basically as soon as they were um, promoted and replaced by with with Lee Pu, who uh, is part of the the ownership group. But apparently, mm. he didn't even watch them last season live in the championship. So they've they've switched over chief executives. He's come in. I'm sure that that some of Jenkins staff left with him. So maybe it's it's just like remember when Swansea only knew how to sign former Swansea players? Yes. It it kind of has that feeling and Swansea were a a, a feel good club. A, a lot of neutrals liked what they were doing all the Swansea jokes that Michu year, Sigurdsson and and his pomp when he was there. And then like they just they started either deprecating their scouting staff or just not listening to them, either one. And I'm just worried that that's what's happened here is they were like, "Oh, these players are good. We had them last year." I mean, Ivanovic feels like a call directly from the manager of just like, <laughs> I'm familiar, get him here. Get me um, anybody that, yeah, anybody that yeah. will work. And it's just, it's it's really disappointing. I I know we both, like Dan, we both like West Brom. I've, I've been to the Hawthorns, very much wanted mm. to visit again post-COVID. Um, but now I'm starting to worry with the timetable of that dragging uh, that, that they won't be up a second year for me to be able to go and see them in the Premier League once more. But Anyway, I, I hope that they can turn things around. I hope that somehow that this group kind of clicks, finds the magic again from last year and pushes themselves up the table. But the defense doesn't seem like it's good enough to keep them up and the attack isn't good enough to save the defense. So it's... it's... And that's exactly it. And I, look, their, their owner is obviously Chinese and maybe maybe there's been you know an adverse effect to his finances. He's a very, oh, entirely very possible, man. yeah. Like he's he's got a net worth of around three billion, so he is a very wealthy man. But maybe just with his different business interests, things have just taken a bit of a turn. But this has not been a good summer for them, um, and I, I do foresee them going back down. But look, that that's kind of been the existence of West Brom for what, twenty years now, just as a yo-yo club. So they go back down, they get rid of Billich, they get someone else in. It's a good championship up. squad. <laughs> it's a really good championship squad, but I. I think you'll be hard pressed to convince Mateus Pereira. Look, to stay he's been relegated. Will you stay? He'd be like, no. Yeah. The <laughs> maybe because he's younger and he's English, but mm. Pereira will have will have bigger views. Um, yeah. Up next then is another club that haven't done nearly enough in West Ham United. Uh, so Thomas Suchek, they made that deal permanent after a little bit of haggling with Slavia Prague. And then they did absolutely nothing for week after week after week before finally signing, signing Vladimir Kufal, also from Slavia Prague, for $5 million. He's a 27, 28-year-old right back, which is a, a position of need. They had, yeah. without doubt, the worst fullback situation in the league. Uh, he will help at right back. Still remains to see how, how good he actually is, obviously, because the big step up from Slavia Prague to the Premier League. But early signs are good. And Suchek um, managed it very well. Suchek was, yeah, he's a he's a tremendous player. I mean, he he took to like a duck to water. Um, strange, strange club. Jeremy and Gaki are left on a free to sign down a division with Watford, which kind of tells you all you need to know. 
Carlos Sanchez and Pablo Zabaleta were were uh, shanghaied out the door when their contracts ended. Albion Ajeti, they took a big loss on. Jordan Hugel, I think they took a big loss on. Roberto was dismissed following one of the worst performances anyone's ever seen last year. Uh, he's gone to Valladolid. Uh, Grady Diangana, like you say, sold out from underneath the manager uh, against the wishes of the fan base, the players, and the manager. Um, for what, nobody seems to know. And then compounded by loaning Felipe Anderson to Porto, uh, their club record signing. As just It's a bizarre summer. They haven't addressed left-back. They haven't addressed their central defensive issues. I, I, I like everything from midfield forward. And before they got rid of Anderson and when Diangana were coming back, I was looking at it thinking that it's easily a, a top group. 10. Easily a top 10 midfield attack. Yeah. Easily. Without Diangana, without Anderson, it's probably mid-table, kind of 12th-ish in the league in terms of the attack. I like the Suchek and Rice pairing. I think they're better when Mark Noble's not on the team. Yep. I know that might be a little bit controversial, but the guy can't For really who? Play <laughs> Some exclusively. people exclusively. But he can't, he can't really play anymore. That's just a simple case. Of, I know he tries hard and he's their captain and an inspirational figure, but the guy can't play football anymore at this level. Um, I like Bowen. I like Haller. Neither of them have been brilliant so far, but Bowen has started the season well. Uh, Antonio's good. Fornals is very good. They're using him in the wrong way. Um, they've got Lanzini. They've got Yarmolenko. So the attacking talent is there. But at the back, I, mean, I wouldn't be keen on what they've got at the back. I think they needed to get a younger goalkeeper as well. All their goalkeepers are 34 and up. Uh, they make the Spurs group look like a bunch of kids. And... Um, <laughs> All in all, I'm sorry, it's another F. It just is another F. And uh, I I know they've won their last two games, quite surprisingly. Big win against Wolves, big win against Leicester. Really impressive. The Rice-Suchek thing works really well, but I still think they're in for a very, very tough season. Yeah, fully agreed. And obviously there's there's all of the uh, ownership conversations slash concerns mm-hmm. going on there as well. The fact that two different Chelsea centre-backs that they tried to bring in both said no. Is, yeah, that's not a good look, is it? It's, it's not a good public look. I do think West Ham are one of the clubs that, because of how thin they are and, and how lacking in talent they are at certain positions, could get a significant upgrade if they brought in a championship player um, yeah. in, in the remaining of this EFL window. But yeah, for me, for now, it's it's it, it has to be an F. I think they're very heavily relying on Fornals and Haller remembering how good they were before joining the club. Mm. And if both of them hit their stride, they'll drag this club far further up the table than they deserve oh, yeah. to be. But uh, yeah, for me, the, for the window, if you're trying to better your team, they have not done that. Now, this is just a random thought, mm. but is it not a little bit concerning that you play drunk in your first two games? <laughs> then your you manager leaves. Pretty much, <laughs> as soon as your manager goes away, you go and you beat two much better teams very, very comfortably. Yeah, handily. Yeah. When your manager's out there. I mean, that to me would it's be weird. would be concerning. If I'm looking at that as the owner, I'm thinking like there's something wrong. Like are the tactics right, but the relationship's wrong. So when he's gone, the relationships that, are good, exactly. but the tactics are still there. Yeah, that's exactly the thing. Um, I don't know. Um, look, maybe they're just two fluke results. There's been a bunch of fluke results so far. Sure. But uh, something to keep yeah, an eye it's, on. it's not a good look. It is, definitely. Yeah. 
Um, all right, and we will finish up with Wolves. Uh, it looks like we're going to keep both shows under two hours, which is nigh miraculous. But we'll talk about Wolves next. Uh, as far as Netspin goes, they're just about even. For the grade, I've gone just about even there as well with a C. But it is a weird, weird window for Wolves. The Mendez influence ruled heavy over this window. He moved three wingbacks <laughs> to and from this club. He moved Dowerty away for almost nothing to bring in Semedo for everything. Then they get rid of Venegra on the left, who I'm pretty sure he doesn't uh, represent, to bring in Ait Nori, who's also his client, to come in as the future left back of the club. That is some shady-ass nonsense. I think they're worse for it, but maybe not as worse as they should be. But just if people believe in the Mendez chain theory, you can look it up if you'd like of basically him creating vacancies at a string of clubs and replacing all of them with his clients. This is about as, this is the smoking gun of that theory, uh, if you believe in it. Um, the Doherty sale, very weird, makes more sense with all of those other uh, incomings in a bit more context. Um, Semedo still has the potential to be a wonderful fullback. Curious to get your thoughts, obviously, but for me, I, I think it's still there. Obviously, injuries set him back. Barcelona itself is its own brand of garbage fire at the moment. But bringing him in, he still starts for Portugal regularly. I, I think that's that's a good player, maybe iffy business. Um, on the left, we mentioned Nori. Probably not quite ready to take the job yet, but the sky's the limit for him. In the uh, intermediate period, they've brought in Marcal, who will cover for Johnny while he's hurt. He'll cover that spot until Nori develops. And Marcal was a pretty good defensive uh, option last year. I think he was top five in interceptions in Liga, mm. if memory serves. Um, so he can do the job over there. Also on the right, while we just play this wingback brigade, um, they bring in Keanu Hoover, who you mentioned earlier. It's so weird that Liverpool let him go. Although I didn't know there was a buyback, which makes that make mm. a little bit more sense at least. Um, the, the Arguably the weirdest transfer of the entire window was Fabio Silva. This is £37 million for an 18-year-old with three senior goals in his career. I can't even speak to how good he is because I've literally never seen him play. I have no idea how I would have seen him play. And you've bought him for about the money that you just sold Jota for. Like, wh what is this? If not just more pocket lining. Like, even if he gets to his best, which I don't know how good that is, is it better than a £40 million player? And you just let one go, and then that's what you just spent on him. It's just... The window was weird, and this signing was the weirdest of the lot. It's a very, very strange window. Um, when you look at kind of the profile of Fabio Silva, he's very, very similar to Raul Jimenez. So when they made that signing, I was like, okay, it's, it's a lot of money for a player with very little experience, but maybe it's long-term planning. Maybe they're looking at Jimenez moving on next summer because I think he'll be 30 then, and you'll probably have that last mm. window to kind of cash in. But then they went and signed him to a big new contract. I don't know that those two can play together. They certainly can't play together in the three. Maybe they can play together in the two, as a two. But, you know, there's a, there's a lot of redundancy with the two of them. Um, he's definitely not as good as Jota now. So that, that is a downgrade without question. Um, my broadcast colleague, Carl Matchett, is, is quite high on... Daniel Pudence, but again, I, I think that's a little bit of fluff and bluster on him. I don't think he's as good as, as uh, Jota either. And while Pedro Neto's ta talented, I think he, he's a downgrade as well. So 
I think they've gotten worse up front in this window. You move back into the midfield. Um, I, I do, I do like uh, Semedo. Uh, you know, in a vacuum, I think he's a better fullback than he is as a wingback. But he's definitely a better player, an all-round player than Matt Doherty. What I don't think he's as good at is being that kind of fulcrum. Because an awful lot of what Wolves did went through Doherty. And I don't think we've ever seen from Semedo that he's capable of that. Now, part of that is he played on the right for Barca. And a certain Lionel Messi plays on the right for Barca. So when you play on the right for Barcelona, the only job you have is to give the ball to Lionel Messi. And then get out of the way. That's kind of what you do. <laughs> but it, and, and, you know, at Wolves, they'll have Adama Traore there. So maybe the, the role will be give the ball to Adama and then get out of the way. Um, Adama is no Messi, but obviously he's a, he's a very, very good player. But I do think that's a slight downgrade just in terms of the role, the functionality of the role. As a player, it's an upgrade, but in the functionality of the role, I think it's a downgrade. I think Eight Nuri is going to be tremendous for them. I really do. I think he is one of the best young left-backs in the world, but I don't think we'll see much of him this season. I think like Vinegra last season, he'll just be a squad player. Marcal will fill that now, and then probably Johnny Otto, when he comes back, will be the starting left wing back uh, for this season. I think Marcal then maybe becomes an option at centre back. But I think they got worse in attack and worse in midfield, or in that midfield four. And typically, if you get worse in two different <laughs> groups it's of not players. Good. Yeah. Now, I would argue Marcal is an improvement at left centre-back over Roman Sice, largely because Roman Sice is a midfielder um, and not a (laughs) centre-back. But I looked at Wolves at the start of this window and thought, well, the big big need for them is to upgrade that back line because Willie Bolly is, he's all right, he's not great. Connor Cody's not great. And Sice isn't a defender. Um you can argue that Marcal is, you know, there's no question he is an upgrade on, on size, but how big an upgrade, I don't know. I think Cody will get exposed more and more because he's getting slower. He's never been a particularly good 1v1 defender. He's a very good organizer and a leader. But he's not a particularly good 1, 1v1 defender. He's not particularly good in the air. Um, I say this in the week after he scored his first England goal, and maybe it's a little bit harsh on him, but I've seen this kid all his career. I've been watching him since he was a child. When he was in the Liverpool Academy, he, he's not, you know, he, he's just not a particularly good defensive player. Uh, he's a good ball player, but I think I think the centre backs are just poor in as a whole. I think the system hides them and it hides them quite well because those central midfielders do drop back and form a good block and they minimise the space the opposition have to work. Hoiver's a right back as things stand, but he's not really a wing back. I think he could be a really, really good right centre-back in a three. And maybe long-term, that's the goal for him, is that that's where he's going to play. But I don't think they improved their defence enough. I think it is it is what it is. I think they got worse in midfield. They got worse in attack. The Vitania on loan signing is is interesting. Apparently, he is very, very talented. Um, another, I would imagine, uh, Mendes deal. Apparently, he made Mendes made somewhere around the region of twelve million from the deals he did for Wolves this wow. year, which is a little bit questionable as to what his uh, what his you know intentions are. I you know 
Wolves fans are no doubt very happy with these signings and mm. with the business they've done over the and last Tottenham season. as well. We, we, we dipped a little too deep into the Mendes pile for my liking. I would advise everybody to go back and look at Valencia 2014-2015 mm. managed by Nuno Espirito Santo with Jorge Mendes basically doing all their transfers for them. And just have a quick look at what went wrong and how quickly it all went wrong for them there. Um, I would be a little bit concerned about how much influence he has. I don't have a problem with Wolves going with the agent-based recruitment, given where they are, the size of the club, and the fact that they do have quite a bit of money behind them so they can afford to spend. But I think they need to diversify a little bit. I mean, it's just very dependent on one guy and one, and one nationality of player. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's a little bit concerning. Over the window, like you, I think it's a C. I think Nuri is going to be top class. I think Hoiver can be top class. Vitania, by all accounts, super talented. Nelson Semedo, maybe he fully unwraps all his talent and you know, out of the shadow of Messi and all the nonsense of Barca allows him to thrive. And maybe Fabio Silva becomes, you know, this generational striker that he was predicted to be at 17. But for this season, I think we're going to see a drop off. We've already, they haven't started the season particularly well. And it wouldn't surprise me if they're the one that maybe drops out of the top half. They're not going to have any relegation issues or anything like that. But if they finish 11th, surprise me. Um, overall, I'll give it a C. But in the long term, and, and we mentioned this with you know with Southampton as well. In the long term, you might look back at this window and go, "Oh, that's actually an A because Hoiver, uh, Hoiver, Vitania, Aitnuri, and Silva have all turned out to be brilliant players." Yeah, and it like laid the but, foundation for the next generation for them. Yeah. Exactly, but for now, I just think it's a C. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a weird one, and then. We will wrap up things there. Uh, on the whole, the window was a very interesting one. I think if I had one big takeaway, it's that Premier League clubs didn't lose their players. Mm. Outside of Chilwell, I don't think there was another player that got like poached or, oh snap, we lost that player just because of the buying power of another club. And Jota maybe the only one. You what? Jota maybe is the only other one. Oh yeah, Jota. Yeah, that we were just talking about wolves. How I missed that? Who knows? Probably because we've been doing this for four hours. But um, I think the other big <laughs> takeaway is that the Premier League found a way to be very clever about their signings this year, and I think the amount of loans that we've seen is entirely dependent on that. It's basically we're going to loan them this year. If football's finances on the whole bounce back next year, we'll buy them. If they live up to the potential, we'll buy them. But it was a lot of really smart, low risk purchases this year. And loads of big names coming in that I think yeah. will be really fun for neutrals. Like bringing in Hamas and Bale from Spain, I think it's just absolutely delightful. Getting to see Thiago Alcantara finally play in the Premier League is going to be a delight. Even like mm. we're going to get to see Edinson Cavani in the Premier League. Like it might work, yeah. it might not work, but we get to see it. Like it's just Ruben Diaz is so talented. Like it is going to be a fun year. Alan at, at Everton. Yeah, I mean, you could really. Chelsea boys. Yeah, you could really do Werner this. and Kai. Exactly. It is. You, you could do this it's, all day. Like there are so many great... awesome talents that have come to the Premier League this window and the fact that it's all happened in a depressed market I I think 
on the whole, Premier League clubs deserve deserve credit for for how they've handled this window. I, I totally agree. And like we've we've now done all twenty teams, and I think we've shown that from our point of view, anyway, um, a lot of teams have done very well. Some teams had bad windows in part because they didn't do enough or in Manchester United's case, because they just didn't seem to have a real plan. Um, but let me ask you this, Kev, best window, worst window. Ooh. So I only gave one club an A plus. So bias or not, it's, it's uh, Tottenham for me with uh, Everton. And I think I had one more a behind them. Uh, Chelsea had an a minus. I think I had one more a in there that, I'm, that isn't coming to, to top of mind. Um, for the F's, I mean, I, I, I feel like we just covered them. I feel like you got to pick one of West Ham or West Brom and I like West Brom more. So I'll go West Ham for the worst. I'd say Burnley for the worst. Oh yeah. Um, purely cause I just don't think they, they tried. Um, I think they've let their manager down. Like you say, West Ham, West Brom and United all bad, bad windows for differing reasons, West Ham and West Brom cause they didn't do enough. United because it was just a, a clown show from start to finish. Uh, in terms of the best windows, I think I had Everton, Leeds, and Spurs. I gave A's to. And I would say, I would say Spurs are the best window. Mm. I, I, like I say, I think you left yourselves a left foot center back short, but I think Leeds also left themselves one or two short. But that they're starting at a much lower barometer, obviously, because they've just been promoted. And for Everton, I would have liked to have seen, you know, a, a better goalkeeper, a higher caliber of starting goalkeeper come yeah. in. And they just don't have the you, depth. They're, it it feels it. very Tottenham 16 to 18 for me. Their first 11 is a top four side. But yeah, if one or two of those pieces misses. The, the lack of backup to Calvert-Lewin is a concern. Mm-hmm. There's and nobody that I, can do Hamas's job. If he drops no, that, that's the thing. Yeah, there's, and I would say the whole right side because Ham is on the right wing. Who's your alternative? Uh, you're going to have to either move a Wobi, move Ricarlison, uh, move Bernard. None of them play on the right side naturally. They're all right-footed, so you're getting a totally different type of player. Bernard is probably the closest in terms of just being an actual playmaker. Mm. But again, he's, he's right-footed. And I think they they maybe could have done with buying a right back. Uh, Coleman is is all right, but he's past his best. And John Joe Kenny, we we don't know yet what he's going to be. And he may still go on a championship loan. We don't know, but I still think they, they, they have two weaknesses that they didn't address. I think Wolves or Leeds probably have, I think they've got two as well. I think a, a fullback would have been good to get in and maybe, that Rodrigo de Paul type of player in the centre midfield yeah. for Spurs, I think it's only one. Um, I think it's just the one, the left side centre back, and that's just me being pedantic, because you have three good centre backs and Eric Dyer, who Mourinho maybe is his father or something. So, so to I'd, clarify, like Tanganga is one of your three good ones, and Dyer's missing. Yeah, I think I think <laughs> Tanganga is he's really, brilliant. Well, I think he's he's promising. Um, yeah, and he can play on the I'd left, like even though he is right footed. Exactly, and he's played left back before. So, you know, he, he is clearly, um, he is clearly, a, you know, a versatile defender. And Mourinho loves him, absolutely loves him. Um, I, Spurs did have, yeah, I think it's fair to say Spurs did have the best window of, of anybody in this transfer market. Um, unfortunately, Eric Dyer was born in Cheltenham. 
1994. Uh, Mourinho would have been 31, so definitely old enough to be his father, but unfortunately <laughs> wasn't wasn't based in the Cheltenham uh, the Cheltenham area at, at the that time. time. So. Although Dyer did grow up in Portugal, so did and didn't Mourinho work for Bobby Robson around 94 so perhaps some trips to England with Bobby maybe so um <laughs> you know I'm not one to I'm not one to speculate or spread rumors or anything <laughs> but you know I've, I've broken the Donald Trump story on this podcast you yep. so Mourinho is Eric Dyer's dad that's all you need to know yeah don't know where else we can really take the show from there we promised you it would be under two hours and we're just at it so we'll, we'll leave it with that. Um, Dave, an absolute pleasure doing this show with you as always. Always one of my favorites. Uh, if you'd like to tell folks where to find you, now would be a good time. Yeah, so it's at Two Footed Pod on the Twitter machine. Uh, you can hear my ramblings at Anfield Index, at Anfield Index Pro, of course. But I do have a daily podcast. It's the Two Footed Podcast. Uh, you can find it on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Search EPL index podcast as opposed to epl roundtable and you'll find my feed and then you should be following that one and this one for all your epl based podcast needs yeah an absolute pleasure as always you can find me at kevroff you can find this show at epl roundtable just search epl index podcast and we should both pop up uh, Mm -hmm. and listen to both of us we're both great Obviously, Dave's uh, is newer and shinier and daily. So if, if you like that cadence, definitely be sure to check that out. Obviously, terrific content, as you just heard from him for the better part of two hours. But yeah, that'll do it for us today. Thanks again, Dave, for coming on. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. Mm-hmm.